Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Genesis 1, verse 26. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. These verses will be on the screen behind me. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man, everyone say man, make man in our image, everyone say image, according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness. I like that. That's, I, I've never seen that before, but when he's talking about likeness, we're not talking about we are identical to God in features and, 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 and facial construction and, and, you know, hair color and skin color and body makeup. That's obvious. With all the different styles and types and cultures that we have in our world, it's obvious that we're not talking about a physical representation. But he's actually saying, I want man to be a natural representation of my spiritual image. I'll say that again. I want man to be a natural representation of my spiritual image. And so God, in essence, is saying, I want to create one like me and extend myself from the invisible realm to the visible realm, from the spiritual realm to the natural realm. That's what he's saying. And he intended for man not to operate or have anything less than what he had capacity-wise, in the ability to do what follows in this verse. Following, it says, and let them have complete authority. Everyone say authority. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. Two things happen in this verse. Two things happen. God gives man identity, then he gives man authority. God gives man his identity. This is what you will look like. This is what you will act like. This is what you will talk like. This is what you will respond like. This is, what you, this is how you will behave. This is your identity. From that identity, he then gives man his authority or his assignment in the earth. Notice which one comes first. Identity comes first. Identity precedes authority. Your identity precedes your authority, or at least it should. At least that's the way God designed it to be. But in our world, we have switched them. We now tell people that your assignment determines your identity. That what you do determines who you are. What you do determines who you are. That's how we operate. That's why when we meet somebody, one of the first questions we ask is, what do you do? Right? Because what you do tells me who you are, or so we think. But God designed it the other way around. Once you discover who you are, then you'll know what to do. So you can also say it this way, until I know who I am, I don't know what to do. Until I know who I am, I really don't know what to do. My function, 
my role, my operation, my, my design, my destiny, my purpose is all raveled up in the identity. And we, of course, we've heard this many times, we have an identity crisis. You know what I've discovered about an identity crisis? If you have an identity crisis, then everything else after that is a crisis also. Until you solve the identity crisis, you won't solve the morality crisis, the culture crisis, the racial crisis, the financial crisis, the promotion crisis, the economic crisis, the education crisis, the government crisis. Everything hinges on the identity crisis. And until I solve that problem, everything else will be a problem for me. So it stands to reason that this idea of identity ought to be the most paramount thing that we search for in this earth, in this realm. I've got to know who I am. I've got to know who I am. And here's one other thing I've discovered. Everybody has a source of identity. Everyone does. Everyone has a source of identity. Everyone has a place you go or something that tells you who you are. Now, if we don't have the proper source of authority, the word of God, then we will make one up. Whether it be a job, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a success or failure, Some people are identified by their failures. Some people are known by their failures. Some people are known by their successes. Some people are known by their achievements. Some people are known by their relationships, who they're connected to. The only way they have that identity is if they're connected to that person. If they're no longer connected to that person or that group or that thing, then they don't have an identity on their own. It's amazing uh, the, the, the struggles that we go through in life when if we would solve the identity struggle, we could solve every struggle after that. So many of our crises and so many of our struggles in this world, we, we, could, we could wind them all the way back. If we really got to the core and the root of it, it would be identity. You just don't know who you are. You think you have to have that job because you don't know who you are. You think you have to make that certain amount of money because you don't know who you are. You think you have to be tied to this individual because you don't know who you are. You think you've got to do this thing or do that thing because you don't know who you are. And so when we allow what we do to tell us who we are, we get it wrong. We get it backwards, and you'll always come to the wrong conclusion. You'll always come to the wrong conclusion. We see this in our world today. We see people coming to the wrong conclusions all the time. Sickness comes on their body, and so they say, well, I'm sick. No, you're healed. Healed is literally your identity. Healed is not a, is not a condition of my body. Healed is who I am. I am healed. I don't need to get healed. I am healed. So I just need to walk in what I already am. And when things contrary start to lie to me, and tell me something other than who I already am. See, when God gives you identity, he doesn't leave it up to conditions of the world or opinions of man. Many people are, have a fear of man because they think that they determine their identity. 
That's why they're afraid of them. That's why they're afraid to make them mad. They're afraid to turn them off. They're, they're afraid to say the wrong thing. And, and we, we, we live in this world today where we're walking on eggshells around everybody because we are afraid of what they think because we think our identity comes from them. If I lose them, then I lose me. So we've got to understand this, this crisis of identity, this issue of identity. And as I was praying, this just what came to me. If we're going to talk about kingdom rise. We got to know who we are. We got to know who we are. And I'm going to go ahead and just put this out there. That what we say tonight and what we see in the word of God tonight might be the first time you hear this. That's okay. It's okay to learn something new. We okay with learning something new. It's, it's okay to see something maybe we've never seen before or I've never seen it that way before. I don't know about you. I come here to find out what I have not yet discovered. If I come in here with, oh, just, just, just confirm what I already know, then I'm already missing it. I want to come in here and God show me something I've never seen before. And I don't want information. I want revelation. I want your Holy Spirit to reveal. I don't want it to be revealed to me by a man. I don't want it revealed by an author. I don't want it revealed by a book or a podcast or a blog. I want it revealed by God himself through the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That's what I want. And so let this be revelation to you. Tonight, the word image literally means this. The word image that we see there in verse 26, it means this. It means shade. It means illusion. It means resemblance. Image means shade, illusion, resemblance. You know, it's impossible for you for your shadow to do anything you don't do. You ever notice that? I mean, we got shadows here, you know, now with all these new wonderful lights up in this building. And, and, and my, my shadow never operates independent of me. And that's literally the, 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 the wording that we have here for the word image is shade or shadow, meaning we should be moving in sync with God. When he moves, I move. When he speaks, I speak. And I don't say anything other than that. Remember what Jesus said? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. Why? I'm a shadow. I carry his image. I am the literal, physical representation of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul even encouraged the church one time. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Could we say that about our lives? That, that, that's a high level to say, you can follow me. And if you follow me, you'll, you're, you're in essence following God. You're in essence following what God wants for you. That's pretty awesome. It, Jesus even said this of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he'll never speak on his own initiative. He'll only speak and only say what he hears from the Father. Those three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are so in sync that you can't even get them to disagree with one another. You can't even get them to, 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 to try to sound or look like or act like or talk like anything independent of what the Father wants. They, if you've met one, you've met them all. You met Jesus, you met the Father. You meet the Holy Spirit, you've met God himself. 
That's what I try to help people understand. The value of the Holy Spirit is it's literally God living in you. It's not the, it's not the redheaded stepchild. It's not the guy that we don't mention very often. We just keep him in his corner. No, it's literally God living in you. And who knows the mind of the Father but the Spirit of the Father. The Holy Spirit can literally tune you in to what the Father's thinking, to what the Father wants, to what his will, to what his plan, to what his agenda is. That's how in sync they are. And he's saying here that we should be operating with that same degree of life, that we are operating in sync with what the Father wants. God designed us this way. This way. Again, I'm taking you all the way to the back. This is Genesis 1. There's nothing before it. And on the sixth day, he created man. And he created man in perfect, and in a perfect environment. In Genesis chapter 1, we have God, we have man, we have no sin. Genesis chapter 1, we have God, we have man, we have no sin. No sin in the earth. Perfect environment. And this was God's plan all along. This type of unison, this type of image bearing, this type of shadow or shade. Um, it even goes on to say this in the definition for image, a representative figure. A representative figure. In essence, God put in his man all the capacity to do what God does in heaven on the earth. God put in Adam and Eve all the capacity they needed to do on the earth what God does in heaven. That Adam and Eve were designed to literally mimic what God does in heaven. He said, let them rule. Let them have dominion. Fish of the sea, birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth and over the entire earth. Man is now in charge of the earth. This is how God designed them. We know two chapters later, this doesn't last very long, but two chapters later, man sins. Man falls. And here comes one of those statements maybe we haven't heard before, but let's look at it. When man sinned, man did not lose heaven. You can't find anywhere in these verses that Adam and Eve had any interest, desire, or intention of leaving this planet and going to a heavenly realm. He was created for the earth. He was created to live here, to dwell here. The, uh, the commands were to guard, to protect, to keep, uh, to reproduce, to flourish, to cause to multiply, to cause to grow, to cause to increase, to do everything that God wanted to do, but he did it through man. And nowhere can you find Adam and Eve waiting around for Jesus to come breaking through the clouds to take his people on home to heaven. I'm just going to tell you right now, that's not even a church concept. That's a man-made concept. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. We know that that's in the plans. But I'm talking about here initially, Adam and Eve said, oh, man, we're, we don't get to go to heaven now. There's no proof of that. There's no, if, if anything, their, their whole soul 
focus was the earth, the earth, the earth, and bringing heaven to earth, extending heaven from an invisible realm to a visible realm, and, and doing it by the very nature and capacity that God put within them, the likeness in the image of God. That's how they were created in. That's the image they were designed to carry. So man did not lose heaven when he sinned. Man lost identity when he sinned. That's the number one thing that the devil came to attack. That's the number one thing. The devil wasn't trying to get them to, from going to heaven and go to hell. The devil wasn't trying to get them to, uh, uh, you know, denounce God and, and, and follow his ways. No, the devil was trying to get access to their authority over the earth. And who is the ruler of this age? Satan. Who's the God of this world? Satan. We know these things. I'm talking to my midweek crew. Y'all know these things. Satan is the ruler of this age. How did he get access to it? He took it from man when we handed it over. We handed over access and authority to a kingdom realm to rule and reign on this earth. And now man became subject to the very thing he was designed to rule over. And that's why we see what we see today. That's why we see what we see today. It's because there's a ruler of this age, a God of this world that is contrary to God. And you know what's so interesting? I bring this up every time. I just love highlighting the fact that God never warned Adam and Eve about the snake. And he knew he was in there. He cast him down here. I saw Lucifer. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he took a third of the angels with him. See, even, even God had a church split. <laughs> Didn't just lose one, he lost a third of them. That makes all of us pastors feel good. I mean, if, if God, you know, knocked one out and then took some people with him, who are we to stand a chance, right? Took a third of the angels. And not once do you see any warnings or, you know, Hey, he, he there, there, there's, the, there's the guy creeping around down there like a snake, and he's coming to get you. And you know why Adam and Eve, you know why Adam and Eve were such a target to Satan? When Satan was in heaven, who was he trying to overthrow? God. He wanted God to bow down and worship him, right? He wanted, he wanted God to be subjected to him. Well, when he gets down here doing his little creepy crawly thing, going to and fro in the earth, and he sees Adam and Eve, guess what he sees? God, an image bearer. He says, okay, wait a minute. I couldn't overthrow him, but this will do. This looks just like him, sounds just like him, talks just like him, acts just like him, looks just like him. That'll work. If I get their authority, that's just as good. And Adam and Eve do what? On a silver platter. You see, authority cannot be taken. It has to be given. Okay? Authority has to be given. You can't, you can't just go up in somewhere and take authority. There's plenty of places I've been wanting to take some authority in, in, in some restaurants. Who's running this show back here? You know, going to some stores. You know, there's, there's, but you can't do, you can't just go, all right, I'm in charge. The devil couldn't just show up in the earth and say, all right, I'm running the show. 
But if, and this is the second point, authority always has to be given by someone in authority. Right? I can't, I can't go up into Chick-fil-A and say, all right, I'm in charge. I'm running this thing. All right, we're opening the dining room. Enough with this drive through only stuff. <laughs> That's enough of that. I want to go inside and eat. I want to sit down. But you know what? I also can't go to one of his employees and say, or, or you know, one of his employees say, you know what, I've been wanting to open this thing too. Here, you, you take the keys. You got it. No, it has to be given by someone in authority to give the authority. Y'all with me? So the creepy crawly little snake, the serpent, finds Adam and Eve. You're in authority. If I get your authority, that's just as good. And Adam and Eve, through rebellion and disobedience of the word of God to eat from a tree that they were told not to eat from, hand over their authority to Satan. And now he's the ruler of this world. And so now, you know, we've asked this question before. If Adam and Eve had never eaten that fruit, where would they be today? They'd be right here. Show me anything that says otherwise, that they, they had a termination date. There was an expiration date of their authority. There was an expiration date of their death entered in by their sin, Romans tells us. So now all of a sudden we've created a church and we've created a, a Christian gospel that says that we're all trying to get there. And that's great and that's fantastic. But in the meantime, while we're here, we're completely neglecting and abandoning the very assignment God gave us. And it all goes back to we don't know who we are. It all goes back to our identity. Until I know who I am, I don't know what to do. Well, no wonder I want to go to heaven. Because I think that I'm just a long lost soul. We have statements like I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Right? We have these things that we've bought into. And we've accepted a lower life. I want to show you tonight that God did make you lower. He made you lower than something. But you might be surprised. You might be surprised, Psalms chapter 8. The question is, how low can you go? If you don't know who you are, you'll act like somebody you're not. It's true. It's time to know who we are. I said it's time to know who we are. You'll get a lot of problems solved if we can solve this one. It'll solve your money issues. It'll solve your relationship issues. It'll solve your addiction issues. It'll solve every struggle you face if you can see this. Psalms chapter 8. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. Verse 1. How low can you go? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, some of y'all might take off running when we get this rigged out. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Verse 5, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. Everyone say angels. You have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. That sounds like ruling and reigning, doesn't it? You have made him, here it is, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That pass through the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, we could read that and just be so encouraged. Man, that is incredible. God created me and you. And when he created us, he created us just a little lower than the angels, those glorious beings that go and they accomplish things and they do things and they're worshipers and they're warriors and they've got a trumpet in one hand and they've got a sword in the other hand and they're ready to fight battles. And man, what an awesome thing that God would think so highly of us. He'd make us a little lower than angels, cherubim. Except that that's not the word that was used there. See, you know, these guys that did these translations and revisions in languages that you and I can understand, they did the best job they can. They did the best they could with what they had, with the, with the resource. I mean, this Bible goes back thousands of years and, 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 you know, over time, you know, things get lost in translation, don't they? And somewhere along the line, somebody read that verse and said, oh, no, that's, I don't know if I can accept that. He must have meant angel. He must have meant cherubim, right? A little lower than the angels. And so they rewrote it in a version, in a translation, in an interpretation that you and I could understand. But, but if we don't have the full concept and we don't understand the full Hebrew and, and Greek and Aramaic initial writing, the intention of the author that wrote it, we will miss things and we will think that God made us lower than angels when that wasn't his plan all along. You're not lower than angels. Because if we read this verse correctly, look, let's look at it in the Amplified. In the Amplified version, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son, and the son of earth-born man that you care for him. It's a good question. Why would you think of us? I mean, considering the works of your hands, the stars and the sun and the, and, and the mountains and the valleys and the rivers and the trees and all this amazing vastness that you put, what is man that you are mindful of? This is, a, this is an individual that is, is, is 
trying to reconcile a God that can do so many great things. And then in all of that, he thought of us. And this is how the Amplified reads it, accurately translated. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of whose hands? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalms 24 verse 1. The earth belongs to the Lord, but he put it in the hands of you and I to control, to manage, to oversee, to take care of. He put it in our hands. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. That word that was incorrectly translated angels is actually the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim. And an interpreter, a translator, read that and was like, God made us a little lower than himself? No. Who, who is man? Who, who is man that you are mind? You made us a little lower than you? So instead of going God, angels, man, you mean it actually means it, it should be God, man, angels. You are created with a higher value and a higher priority than angels. And we thank God for angels, but angels are beckoning at your service, not the other way around. We don't do what angels tell us. We tell angels what to do. Angels go. Angels get. Angels move. Angels fight. They are waiting for us and waiting to respond to us. All of heaven is waiting for man. But if you don't know who you are, you'll be waiting on God when God is waiting on you. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. We've, we've heard it a million times. And I was thinking about this verse the other day. We've heard, if my people call by my name, right, will repent. And I'll move on their behalf. The first three words. If my people. Everything else in that verse hinges on if my people. And guess what? We got all kinds of Christians on this planet going, if my God. If my God would deliver, if my God would heal, if my God would set free, if my God would intervene, if my God would work, if my God would do, and he's saying, if my people who are called by my name, that's identity, name is identity. He's saying the people that I've literally birthed out of myself, that are literally called by my, you share a last name because of family. You share a last name, either you were born into it or you were adopted into it. You were brought into it. That's why you share a name. And he says, if my people who are called by my name, my family, my people, my bloodline, my ancestors, you are of the God kind. I'll say it again. You are of the God kind. 
behind. I'm telling you right now, if you get a hold of this, we can turn this thing around and we can get Jesus to come back a lot quicker. But we keep preaching stuff that's counter to this. We keep dumbing down ourselves and we keep devaluing ourselves and we keep calling it humility when it's actually the greatest sense of pride to tell the manufacturer what you were designed to do. The product doesn't tell the manufacturer what it's going to do. The manufacturer, before it's even created, everything that's on this planet, the chairs you're sitting in, the podium that's here, my Bible, this iPad, my microphone, everything that we take part of began in someone's mind. It started here. And when they manufactured it, they designed it to fulfill the purpose that was in their mind. They didn't create it and said, oh, what's that going to be? What do you think that's going to do? You can't even know your purpose until you know who you are. You can't even know your destiny until you know who you are. You You can't solve a problem until you know who you are. And you'll just find that you're going to have problem after problem compounding upon itself until you discover, I am the God kind. We're looking for people that are going to be solution bringers in these last days, not contribute to the problem, not add to the problem. God's looking for, where, who's the one that are going to solve the world's issues? Solve the hunger issues, solve the racial issues, solve the economic issues, solve the government issues, solve the political issues, solve the division issues, solve the national, international, local. Who's going to solve these problems? It's people that know who they are, and it's people that know they are a God kind, and they don't live, they don't tolerate an inch below who God called them to be. The Passion Translation. Psalms 8, the Passion Translation, verse 3, look at the splendor of your skies, your creative genius glowing in the heavens. When I gaze at your moon and your stars mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But I have to ask this question, why would you bother with puny mortal man or care about human beings? Meaning, you could have left us out of the picture. You could have cast us aside. And after we sinned and after we rebelled, man, it would be easy to reduce our lives to just passerbys. Reduce our lives to merely spectators in this realm. Reduce our lives to having to come and go with the comings and goings of life and have no answers and no solutions. We could have done that, but yet... What honor you have given to men, created only a little lower than Elohim, crowned with glory and magnificence. You have delegated to them rulership over all you have made with everything under their authority, placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. Put that on a bumper sticker. All the created order and every living thing of the earth, sky and sea, the wildest beasts and all the move in the paths of the sea, everything is in submission to Adam's sons. 
Yahweh, our sovereign God. Well, if I have all this authority and I have all this dominion and I am and I'm of the God kind, then doesn't that remove God's authority? Absolutely not. Because the only way you remain in authority is you if if is if you remain under authority. I can't remain in charge if I won't remain submitted to the one in charge over me. It's called chain of command. Come on. Every workplace has a chain of command. You know who to go to. You know who's watching over you. And then you probably have some level of influence or rulership or uh, 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 delegated authority to you. But you compromise the authority you have if you rebel against the authority over you. The only way your authority works is if you remain under authority. So, authority... You, you will never, your level of authority will never exceed your level of identity. Your level of authority will never exceed your level of identity, knowing who you are. So look at Ephesians chapter 1. You are the God kind. You are the God kind. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It's time to rise. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... So he's talking to new converts or those that have converted to Christianity, to the church of the living God. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul saw fit that once someone comes into the kingdom, There are some specific things we must pray over them, that it's not a done deal. You know how many times we get people in the kingdom, they enter the kingdom, they enter through the door, and that's it. There's no spiritual growth, there's no maturity, there's no discipleship, there's no further understanding or further revelation of who you are. At the very least, we, we, we tell them that now, you, you know, if you died today, you get to go on to be with the Lord, and we make it all about this eternity beyond this realm. We immediately point them right past the remainder of their life in this earth. And so many Christians are content living below living below, not below God, but below their own standard, below what God even destined for them to live at. But listen to what Paul prays. Now you've come into the kingdom after I heard of your faith and your love for all the saints. I give thanks for you, but I also make mention of you in my prayers. This is what I'm praying for you, church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. If you have a Bible, you can write in, highlight that, underline it, put stars around it. If you don't, throw that one away and get one you can write in. Listen to what he's praying. 
that God, you can't get this from anywhere else. What, you're, what needs to be revealed can only come from God. It won't come from a parent. It won't come from a pastor. It won't come from a teacher. It won't come from a blog or a podcast or a, 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 a televangelist. There's no amount of money you can send in that's going to allow you to get this revelation. This has to come straight from God, he said. And I pray that he gives you a spirit of wisdom. So this is not natural understanding. You see what he's saying? Come on, let's break this down. I give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Here it is, that you may know. Paul, what is it? What is it that I need to know? I've come to faith in the Lord Jesus. I have love for all the saints. Now you're praying for me, and you're praying that I may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I mean, right there. Do you think we have a multitude of Christians, that the majority of Christians in the earth today are living the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I would argue, no, we're not. We're not even living that. And there's still so much more to go. The glory of his riches. And the glory isn't, man, when you die and you leave this earth, this this tranquil earth that takes everything from you, and and you're going to live beat down, and you're going to suffer, and and you're just going to be broken, and and you're just going to live subjected to everything. But, man, one day we're going to get to go on to glory. One day it'll be in the twinkling of an eye he's going to come get his church. That's the glory of his riches and the inheritance and the saints. No, that can't be what Paul's praying for the church for. I can realize that with no revelation whatsoever. CNN tells me that. (laughs) CNN tells me that I am better off out of here and in glory with Jesus. CNN can give me that. I don't need a, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. I don't need revelation to get that knowledge. I can get that from Fox News. I can get that from walking out my front door. I can get that from Facebook. No, we're talking about something you can only understand by the Holy Spirit giving you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That I would know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, meaning my power in this earth is directly correlated with his power in heaven, according to. Two of the most powerful words in the scripture, according to, means they work in conjunction. My power should be a reflection of his power. It's no less. He doesn't have the 2.0 version and we're just stuck down here with the barely get by version. Come on, we're talking about real life now. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. 
which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. This is now the third time we're hearing about authority and ruling and reigning. And all of us would read this and say, oh, yeah, I agree. Jesus is seated in heaven. Oh, yeah, I I agree. All things are under Jesus' feet. Thank God everything's under Jesus' feet. Thank God he's got all authority. And one day he's going to rapture us out, and we're going to be able to say goodbye to this nasty old earth, and we're going to be in glory with him with no worries and no problems and no issues. There's no crying. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no sadness. Oh, what a glorious day that'll be. None of us would have disagreed that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. And gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But you have to keep going. This is not written in chapter and verse. Paul isn't, oh, okay, that's that's the end of chapter one. So let's, let's move on to chapter two, change subject. No, he's right in line. He's still going. He's not done. We haven't even discovered what is the hope of his calling. We haven't even discovered what is the great inheritance and the riches of the inheritance to the saints. We haven't even gotten there yet. If we stop there at verse 22, he's in the middle of a sentence. He's in the middle of finishing. If I was the Ephesian church, I'd be saying, you're not done. What's the hope of his calling? You left me hanging. What is this great riches you're talking about? Why do I need wisdom and revelation and enlightening in my spirit? What are you talking about, Paul? We haven't even gotten to what he's praying for the church for. It'd be like me telling you, hey, um, um, I've been thinking about giving you 20 bucks. And then walking away and leaving. I didn't give you the 20 bucks. I said I was going to do it. All that Paul has done here in Ephesians chapter 1 is tell you, I'm praying for you. Daily, I'm making mention of you in my prayers that you'll see by revelation, you'll have understanding in your spirit that this cannot be comprehended in the natural. And then he cuts off in verse chapter or chapter one, verse 22. Jesus seated the right hand of the Father. Okay, bye. Paul, there's more. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you. He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he starts off by reminding them where they were. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's what happened when Adam and Eve handed over their authority. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Now he's letting you know, I'm not just getting on to you. I was there too. I was one of those horrible, sinful people. We are all walking in darkness. We are all walking in the ways of the world. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Man, I tell you what, there is no greater way to love and value what God has done for you than by contrasting it with our life before we knew him. And that's what Paul's doing. I want you to have spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
I want you to have understanding of what his great riches are, the hope of his calling, the, the great riches to the inheritance, uh, the power that works in the believer. I want you to know, because remember where we came from, guys. It was horrible. It was dark. We were given into every little lustful thing. We, we didn't have any control of our lives. We didn't have any intention to follow God whatsoever. He's contrasting it now. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, but God. Everyone say, but God. Anybody had a but God moment lately? Anybody had a but God moment in the last year and a half? Anybody? You got to have some but God moments. This is what it could have been, but God. This is what it looked like, but God. This is how I felt, but God. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Look at the setup Paul is putting. He's just building. He's like, okay, get to the point, Paul. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. And here's the key word, together with Christ. And then look what's in parentheses. By grace, you have been saved. Ah, ah. He immediately goes to, I don't think you made this happen. Don't think you had anything to do with this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were still dead in trespasses, he raised you up and made you alive and made you sit together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, not on your own works. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it wrong. You didn't make this happen. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Verse 6, and raised us up, there it is again, together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places. Why do I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Because I can grasp Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. I can grasp with my natural mind that he rules and he reigns. I can grasp with my natural mind. He died on a cross. He went to a grave. Three days later, he rose again, and he's now ascended, and he's at the right hand of the Father. I can grasp that, but what I've got to grasp and what I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation for is I'm right there with him. I am the God kind. I'm an image bearer. I'm created in his image and in his likeness. And I have the ability to rule, to reign, to oversee, to manage, to control. And nothing in this earth is, is controlling me. I'm controlling it. It's underneath my feet. It's the together. Think about it. All that build up from Ephesians 1.15 just to get to Ephesians 2.6 Raised together, made alive together, made to sit together. Why did he have to pray that? And he prayed it daily. Because it's a tough concept to grasp without the Spirit of God revealing it to you. Even tonight, unless you yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to open this and illuminate it to you, don't take it for my sake. Don't take it for my words. Don't take it because it's on a screen. Don't take it because I read you different versions. Take it because it's in the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to register this in your spirit. You are the God kind. You are created in his image. You are an image bearer. You are the literal shade and shadow. And when God moves, you move. And if God doesn't move, you don't move. And when God speaks, you speak. And how God responds is how you respond. And the way God talks is the way you talk. 
Tired of Christians talking contrary to what God says. Tired of us acting like God isn't alive and God isn't doing what he said he would do all along. Tired of acting like, like, like faith and belief in God is, is just something we say. It's time to become it. You are an image bearer. And then he goes on, verse 7, that in the ages to come, the whole reason why you bear his image is in verse 7. And too many times I stopped at verse 6. I took a lap on verse 6. I shouted on verse 6. Made us to sit together. Made, raised us up together. Made us alive together. Oh, man, that's so powerful. But the whole reason why you need to be an image bearer is in verse 7. That in the ages to come. Meaning... Will the world, will the future know you existed? Did you leave your mark on the earth? Did they know you were here? Kyle was here. Remember we used to scratch that in a bathroom stall? Some of you did. Are we etching ourselves into the earth where it can never be removed? The church was here. The church was here. That in the ages to come, that means you don't even have to be around anymore and they know you were here and you left a mark. That he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us the disclaimer again. Be careful. You didn't do this on your own. Don't get boastful. Don't get haughty. Don't get proud. Don't get arrogant. For by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Here it is, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. When does the manufacturer give purpose to the product? beforehand, before it's created. You don't get a plan for a creation after it's created. You have a plan for a creation. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. We are his workmanship. So everything that he just said has already been stamped beforehand that we should walk in them. I tell my, my son's baseball team all the time, there, there's only two reasons why you will not have success out here. They're talking nine, ten-year-olds. There's two reasons. And it's a leadership principle that they can take with them all the way through until they leave this earth. Two reasons why you won't be successful at anything in life. Either you can't do it, or you won't do it. That's it. And I tell them, if you can't do it, it's my job as a coach to do the best of my ability to get you so you can do it. But if you're out here and you don't want to do it, I can't do anything about that. Now, Jesus came, and he took care of the can't. Now it's up to the church to take care of the won't. Will you rise 
to the seated place he's called you to? Will you come to the alive place, the seated place, the ruling place, the reigning place? Or will you refuse in the face of the word to say, I can't live that? Will you say, oh, it didn't mean Elohim. He must have meant cherubim. I must be made a little lower than angels. I can't be a God kind. I can't be an image bearer. That's why Paul had to write in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because condemnation will kill your identity every time. Because as soon as you get a glimpse of what we're talking about tonight, the enemy's immediately going to start bringing up, but you did this, and you went there, and you said that, and you were this. He's going to bring up all of your past, and God is... God has a past on you that's greater than any past you could ever. When, you, when God looks at your past, he says, well, uh, beforehand, before you sinned, before you were born in Adam's image, before you, I had a plan that you would be raised up with my son, seated with my son, ruling with my son. Where are my image bearers? Where is the God kind? Where are those that are going to be a display of the kindness and the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the sovereignty of God? Where are those people at? Where is the church at? I mean, if, if anybody can bring up the past, God can bring up the past. And he can go further back than the devil can. I said he could go back further than the devil can. The devil can only go back to the moment you were born. And the first time you said no to mama. And when you were sticking that fork in the light socket, even though you were looking right at her. The very first sin was all you needed to send yourself to a pit of hell for eternity. But God said, before that... I said, before that, come on, some of you need to know that before the adultery, before the fornication, before the drunken night, before the breakup, before the cheating, before the lying, before the greed, before the sin, there was an image in God that said, I'm going to create a product and I'm going to put the design and the purpose and the destiny in it so that when it shows up in the earth, it can't decide what it wants to be. It will be what I call it to be. An image bearer. I'm just going to throw these on the screen real quick. Ephesians 2 verse 4 in the passion. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For now we are co-seated as one with Christ, and your authority will never exceed your identity. If you don't see yourself as seated with Christ, as co-heirs with him, then you will remain subjected to the very world you were designed to put into subjection. 
Ephesians 2.10 in the Passion. We have become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Give you one more. I've got so much more. Give you one more. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 20, in the Passion Translation. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself. Here it is. Back to its original intent. Restored to innocence again. Jesus did not come Die on a cross for your sins so that one day when you die, you can go to heaven and be with him. It's not why he came. Jesus died on a cross for your sins to get sin out of you so he could get his spirit back in you and we could operate in this realm like we were designed to all along. There is no plan B with God. Man, when we mess up, when we break something, we scrap it and try a new one. We do this all the time. You watch a little child, they'll go through an entire notebook of paper, scribble on whatnot, didn't like it, rip it out, go to the next page even if it's a pencil and an eraser. They'll go through the whole notebook. We're trained to start over. We're trained to forget that plan. I'll try something different. And Jesus was not God's plan of something different. Jesus was God's plan to get it back the way it was in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. That was what Jesus came to do. Back to its original intent. So I want to leave you with this quote. We'll put that on the screen for you. Handing out salvation tracts is lovely, but it doesn't manifest the life of the Father. Nor does it reproduce sons and daughters of the Spirit. The world has to see in us a people who doesn't get sick, who lacks nothing, but instead who gives everything. People brimming with life and vigor. Here it is, even in their old age. A people who have the most extraordinary solution to society's problems. That only happens when you have a God-kind identity. That only is possible. What we do doesn't change until we know who we are, until you know you are an image bearer, 
until you know, until you're convinced, until you have absolute confidence, I am a child of God, I am a son, I am a daughter of the king, and I am a reproduction of what God is trying to do in the earth today. And Jesus came to redeem me. Jesus came to restore me. I've used this so many times, but if this Bible is sitting on this podium, and this Bible falls on the floor as man fell, and I pick up this Bible and I place it in heaven, have I restored the Bible? The only way I can restore it is put it back where it was in the beginning. God created heavens and the earth. And he created man in his image, in his likeness, to rule and to reign. If God sent Jesus to restore us by getting us to heaven, that's not restoration at all. The plan is restored when it's placed back how it was found in its original intent and purpose. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.